We are back for part two in this mini-series in... This is a very pivotal chapter in my life, and that's why I'm doing this mini-series on it that I have dubbed the homeless millionaire. Now, a lot of people hear that word millionaire, and they think that that is a goal, that is a destination. And what I'm trying to do is help you understand that whatever money you make, whatever your goal is, should just be a byproduct of you being you. So in The Homeless Millionaire, I am trying to help you understand that this journey that you are taking, it really does apply to that concept that we talked about saying, it never gets easier, you get stronger. So I challenge you to start thinking that you're already a millionaire. Whatever the goal in your mind is, you're already there. You already have achieved it. And so you just have to get strong enough to bear it. Without further ado, this is part two of The Homeless Millionaire. So as I'm sitting in the driveway of the house that used to represent the American dream, this house was my beacon of stability. It was the thing that was grounding me. It was the thing that, in my mind, gave me my third, fourth, fifth, or sixth chance. Because up until this moment, I was always with my foot on the gas. I was relentless in my attack and my pursuit of more. And please understand that this story is not about woe is me or a pity party, because I brought a lot of this onto myself. In the company that I had, if I would have taken the time to get the knowledge to understand the industry that I was in, I would have been able to understand and recognize what I was doing was wrong, and it was a house of cards, and it was going to be brought down at some point. And maybe if I would have been more available and I wasn't always on my pursuit of more, I would have been able to be a better friend. I would have been able to be a better boyfriend. I would have been able to be a better son. And with all these dreams and thoughts and experiences and memories racing through my mind, I'm staring at this house, getting ready to leave behind what I thought was my new beginning. And for three months, four months, I was in that new beginning and it felt great. It felt great to be putting down roots. It felt great to be laying a foundation. And it all came crashing down. The thing that I thought was the most stable in my life was actually the most fragile and I did not see it coming. And it was at that moment of being so broken that I realized I've been here before. I can do this. And I actually took comfort in the unknown, and I embraced it, at least the best that I could at the time. I was still scared. I took one last look at my house. I pulled out of the driveway and started my next new beginning. And yes, I'll be honest with you, when I, <laughs> when I was going up there, it started out great. I was excited. I was going to go take Denver by storm. I was going to be the world's best audio producer, and I was going to go in there and just be amazing. And then it started occurring to me probably three hours into my drive, well, 
What if you don't get hired? Well, how are you going to get a house? You don't have any credit. I had probably $3,000, $4,000 to my name, and that was supposed to start my entire new life and get me to Colorado. And I began to worry. And this drive is supposed to take about 14 and a half hours. Um, I was driving in uh, the middle of winter, so my drive probably took 24 hours. But it gives you a lot of time to think when you're restarting your life. And those doubts and worries and fears inside your head really creep in. And they had started attacking me. They had started destroying me from the inside. And I went through probably every single kind of emotion you can imagine on my drive. And this drive changed me. It changed everything about me. Because up until this moment, I had a decent amount of talent. I'm a pretty smart guy, um, decent amount of drive. And I always thought I was moving forward. And I realized, in retrospect, I was just moving Sometimes just backwards, sometimes laterally, sometimes forward. But I was just moving, and I wasn't doing it efficiently. It, it's kind of like that guy when you're sitting at the crosswalk and you're in a car. The guy who does like the motion of running, but he's not actually moving faster than walking. That's what I was doing in all things of my life. I was doing a lot of motions. I was doing a lot of movement, but I was not moving fast. And I was not moving in the right direction. That's the best analogy that I can use. So 17 hours into my drive after going back and forth through every single emotion that you can imagine, going from, I'm going to be the hero of my life, I'm going to be the villain of my life, I've ruined my life, I am sad, I'm mad, I'm scared, when in fact I was probably all of these things. So I finally reach Vale in an emotional state that I can't even properly describe in words. I am exhausted, mentally, physically, emotionally. And at this point, the snow had gotten so bad that I could barely see the guardrail on the side of the road. I'm in a rear-wheel drive vehicle. I had lived in Arizona for nine years, so I had never really needed an all-wheel drive vehicle. And as I'm going up Vale Pass, I look like a wiper blade on the road going from side to side because I cannot get enough traction to move forward. There's very few, if any, other cars on the road. And I was the last car before they closed Vail Pass to go through. And I was thinking to myself, what have I gotten myself into? Because my life had gone from okay to bad to decent to really bad to worse to oh my God. And I don't know what I'm about to get into, what I'm doing, who I am, what I am, where I am. And I'm starting to think that this is it. Now, am I thinking that I'm going to die? I don't really know if those kind of thoughts had crossed my mind, but I am scared for my life. And so I just don't know what I'm going to do. But I just realize I have to push forward. I have to keep moving forward, forward, forward. And I just keep trying to keep myself calm. I'm praying. I'm hoping, I'm wishing, and all of a sudden, I get a blue and orange light behind me. And again, I had just spent nine years in Arizona, so I don't know what this is or what it means. I just think, okay, there's a weird vehicle behind me. Well, I realize it's a snowplow. And this is 
when I developed my first concept that kind of started the final percent. And, well, what became the final percent. And this snowplow passes me. It moves the snow out of my way. My traction improves. My stability increases. And I can follow this snowplow all the way down the mountain safely. That snowplow saved my life that day. And in that moment of following the snowplow, I realized that we have snowplows in our life. We have people who were put in our life to save it, to fast forward it, to help it, to challenge it, to change it. And in that moment, I realized that I was basically a civic in my life, and I was trying to be a snowplow. I was trying to lead, but all of my power came when I followed, when I realized what it meant to follow. And so it begs the question, how can you really be a true leader and know what it means to lead if you don't know how to follow? Because you can only lead people as far as you've gone. And if you've never followed, you don't know how to teach that. And so I always encourage people to have both a mentor and a mentee. Because then you're putting yourself in that position to know both roles all the time. And it keeps you grounded. It keeps you humble. So when I get into Denver, it is a very scary experience because, well, where do I go? I don't know this city. I have no idea where I should be, what I should do, who I should meet, how I should go about it. So I do what anybody does when they're going into a new city, and I go find a 24-hour fitness, and I sleep in the parking lot. So I'm close to a shower that I can pop into at a moment's notice and I do research on my phone and look up every single studio, every single music place that I can find and I send out my resume. Because in my drive, I realized I wasn't ready to lead. I wanted to follow and I found power in following. I found power in that for the first time in my life. And so with a great attitude, I went out everywhere and I tried to find people that I could build with. And I tried to find companies that I could get excited about. And I tried to, in any capacity I could, whether I was going to be an intern, whether I was going to be a runner, whether I was going to be an engineer, it did not matter. If it was in music in any capacity, I will do it for you. I will do it for free. I'll do it for minimum wage. I'll do it for low wage. doesn't matter. You can pay me in food because I was scared about that too. And I went out there and I hit it hard for almost two straight months trying to find a job in the music industry. Now, unfortunately, like I said before, I didn't know anybody in Denver. I didn't know where to look, who the players were, who the best places were, who the worst places were. All I had was Google, some research, and some work ethic. So unfortunately, I was faced with a decision because me thinking that my credentials and my education and a strong work ethic and a great attitude was going to get me a job, well, I was dead wrong. And it was partially because the music industry really is that hard. And also because we were facing the worst economic downturn since the Depression. So I had to make a business decision. I was ready for a mentor. I was actively seeking a mentor. I was wanting anybody to take me by the hand and say, hey, Greg, I've got you. This is how it's done. I never got that person, at least not then. Or maybe I just wasn't smart enough to realize 
some of the people who were right in front of me. But I had to make a decision. Either I was going to give up on music and potentially get a waiting job or something like that, or I was going to have to start my own gig. I was going to have to develop my own studio. Now, I just said that I was kind of committed to the idea of learning and committed to the idea of building with someone else, but it just wasn't in the cards. So I said, all right, I've got to get to know the music industry here in Denver. I've got to get to know the people. I've got to go out and meet other singers, other musicians. And this battle strategy included me going to every single open mic night that I could find, every single music venue that had live music that night. And yes, it enters my life again, the infamous karaoke. I would go out to karaoke, and I'm an all right singer, so I would get up on stage, strut my stuff, do my thing, sing my little heart out, and hope that someone would come talk to me and say, hey, you're an all right singer. Hey, I've got this gig. Can you do this? Or, hey, how did you get that good? Can I take lessons? Or, do you have a studio? Or, I have a studio. Just anybody in the music industry please, I was praying, come talk to me. And honestly, it ended up paying more dividends than I thought it was going to. It ended up building the network and the foundation that are responsible for me starting KMG. And I'm very thankful for that time in my life. And I ended up almost exclusively building my network at karaoke places almost five times a night, going to different karaoke bars, every single one that I could find. And It's incredible what can happen if you have perseverance. Now, when I moved to Denver, I had a substandard interface, which is what gets the audio into the computer. I had an outdated computer, an outdated version of Pro Tools, a live sound console, and one microphone. So now I'm faced with a decision because I've grown my network so much that people are starting to be willing to pay me for my services. I would go over to their house because I did not have one, and I would set up my stuff and I would record them in their living room to the best of my abilities. But the problem is, is I was not able to move very efficiently, very quickly, because due to travel and setting up and tearing down, you can imagine that I could not get more than about two jobs done per day, which would net me maybe $100 if I was lucky. So since no other company in Denver would hire me, I decided to make my own company and hire myself. So I began looking for the place to set up shop. I probably looked at 30 or 40 places in one week. And it was a grueling experience because it was basically slammed doors and no's nonstop. If you looked up my credit score at this point in my life, it was LOL. It was not even a number. So I got a lot of people laughing in my face. And that is not an exaggeration. Until one day, a man named Tony Hemminger took a shot on me and had faith in me. And as I'm writing out this check, he even looks at me and he says, is this thing good? Is it, is it going to bounce? And I said, well, can you cash it next week when I move in? And he said, okay, because this, this check was my last check. It was partially ripped and it had stains on it. And he took a chance on me because realistically my spirit was partially ripped and it had stains on it too. But I had a new lease on life. I was putting down roots, and I was going to make something of myself. This was my new beginning for the ninth, 10th, 11th time, whatever it is at this point. So I'm moving into this place, and I am so excited. I don't have any money to do anything, but I'm excited because at this point, I really do feel like 
I am moving forward, but now I am back in the driver's seat. There's no one to mentor me because I have to make all the decisions. I have to figure out how to pay for this thing. I have to do everything so that I can make this work. And as I look up, well, there's a drop ceiling. There are very thin walls. I don't have any acoustic anything to make this space a real studio that is going to be able to compete on any competitive level. And I begin to get scared. I begin to doubt myself. But the lease is signed, and I have to put my nose to the grindstone and just figure out a way. I have to make a way. And so I go back to networking through all of the bar scene at particularly karaoke clubs. And this particular night, there was a karaoke competition. Now, I go on to lose this competition, but I gained a very important team member of my original team at KMG. He was actually singing in the same karaoke competition because he's a hell of a singer as well. And even though we lost, we really felt like we gained something special because as we began talking, we realized we were essentially in the same position. He was trying to find his way in the music industry. He had just gotten out of school for audio recording. I was starting a studio, and I had just gotten out of audio school a few years earlier. So we trade numbers. We don't necessarily think anything life-altering has just happened, but we're excited about the prospective relationship. About a week later, I'm going through a studio session, and I need an engineer, so I text him. He actually said that he couldn't come, but texted me about 15 minutes later and said, I'm on my way. Let's make this happen. He showed up and did a pretty good job, and We decide, hey, you know what, let's see where this goes. And we started really building something special between us. So, well, we had a great relationship. We didn't necessarily have a great business because we weren't making any money. The clients that we did have couldn't pay very much. And the ones that we really enjoyed working with couldn't pay at all. So we weren't making any money. We were the personification of the starving artists. So we finally got a decent break. We got someone to come in and give us about $1,200, which might as well have been a million dollars at that moment. Now, this project was really good for us because it gave us something to where we could take something home and we could believe in what we were doing again because we could actually go pay a couple bills, maybe buy a decent meal. But the other thing that happened in this project is it was a wake-up call. It was a realization that we were not prepared to compete in this landscape because we barely got through this project. We had to borrow gear, we had to call in some favors, and we ended up not making very much money because we had to rent a lot of the gear to be able to complete the project. So I began my hunt for how do I get more gear? How do I acquire more gear? How do I save my company, my little baby company, my newborn company? I could already see failure at the end of the tunnel. And right then, I got a call from my friend Anurag Galati. Now, I had started a studio with him when I think I was 21, 22, maybe even 20. I don't even know if I was drinking yet. But uh, he was going through uh, school at ASU. This was back in Tempe. And he was actually one of my interns. And we became great friends. He was Looking back on it, he was actually one of my mentors. He's not much older than me, but he really has saved my butt more than a few times, and I owe him a lot. I love him very deeply, and I appreciate the hell out of him for who he's been in my life and what he's done in my life. But he calls me and he says, hey, man, um, I know it's been like seven years since we've last talked. I've got like 50 grand worth of gear. I was just going to ship it off to LA. I was wondering, I know that you just started a company up there. 
if you drive down to LA, since I, I have to move, I, I just got hired by Facebook and I have to move and I don't want to deal with all of it. If you drive to Arizona right now and pick it all up, you can take it back to Denver. And uh, I don't know if it, it could help your company right now. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on my way. And I'm not kidding. At that moment, I hopped in my car and I drove to Arizona. This ride did not seem so bad. I know we started this story off with a long drive, but now I see the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is my chance. Now, thanks to Anu, I'm really going to be able to be a heavy hitter pretty quick in Denver. So I drive down there and I get some world-class gear. I mean, he really hooks it up. Now, it's been a few months, obviously. And so I also bring back my wife. We have not gotten divorced. We're still trying to figure things out and I'm still trying to put down roots in Denver. And so we drive back and Anu also gives me enough money to get a place to live. He gives me enough money so that I can get into an apartment complex called The Crest. Now, why The Crest is important is I actually slept across the street from The Crest, right by a trash can. And not because the trash can was where people couldn't find me. It was right by this particular trash can. It was up on a hill, and it had the best view of the mountains. And I always had to wake up when I was sleeping in my car and immediately see the mountains because they were a symbol that I was conquering a mountain. I was achieving something of significance in my life. I was changing my stars. And they were a symbolism of me knowing that what I was doing was great and it was going to take a long time and it was a big achievement and I needed to be patient. It was something that grounded me and connected me to Colorado. And so, of course, right when we were coming back and I wanted to go anywhere, anywhere in Denver, I wanted to go to this apartment complex because it had the best views of the mountains. Now, the only problem was, is we only had enough money to get a one-bedroom apartment on the ground floor that had no view of the mountains. I would look out my window and I saw a garage. There were dogs above me and very thin walls, but at least now I had a bed. I had somewhere to sleep. I had somewhere to call home, or so I thought. And so I'm finally putting down roots. I install all this new gear that Anu blessed me with. And I have my wife in, uh, in the apartment and she finds a job. She's waiting tables. And you know what? We're, we're trying to get through. We're, we're settling into a routine, but we just can't get on the same page. I'm about as full-blooded entrepreneur as it comes. And she needs stability and safety. And she's just not understanding why I have this passion and this need. I'm never home. I'm always at the studio, which I can't blame her for being mad at that. But when I am home, it didn't make anything different. It, what, it didn't feel like she missed me. We would just fight like crazy. So I would just keep running back to the studio and I would just keep working on my business. And a lot of times we would fight so bad that I would just sleep at the studio. I just didn't really see a way out. I didn't know what was going to happen until financially we just hit rock bottom. We had our phones shut off. We were facing eviction. Things were bleak, scary, dark. And we finally got a client that I had brought in. They were going to pay us $7,000, which this amount might as well have been a billion dollars. And we closed this deal, and we are so excited that we are going to get to be able to produce music for any real wage. And so things go well. And it was a daughter and her mom. 
The project was going to last two weeks. We got paid partially up front. I think it was 25% of the total project. And uh, they were staying at a nearby hotel. And so we were working on it, and we were kind of behind the deadline. And we were doing everything that we possibly could to meet the deadline. And so we were working kind of overtime. And then I kept getting calls and kept getting calls, but I couldn't answer because we really needed me to finish this deadline, get this project done on the deadline, on time, so that we could get the rest of the money so we could pay our bills. So I can't answer my phone. I can't disrespect the client like that until my wife just shows up, freaks out, starts screaming and saying that I am sleeping with the daughter, which if you guys know this particular client and you know me, there's just no way. There's literally, it's just not going to happen. Not to mention that her mom was in the very same room. It's just not even possible, not remotely possible. And so I calm my wife down. I say, look, you're about to blow this whole deal for us. And this is literally saving us from getting evicted. Please stop freaking out. Stop throwing this tantrum. She had thrown food into the microwave. And after it was done cooking, she threw it on the floor because I had said I was hungry. Hey, do you think maybe you can make me some food? And so, I mean, these huge tantrums. And so I finally said, you need to leave. And she said, well, it's snowing outside. I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. And I'm going to just sit here and watch what you do that takes so long all night. And I was going, okay, you can't be here. I'm sorry. This has already gone too far. And so I get her in my car and I, I start driving her home. And we begin to fight like there's no tomorrow. Because I'm saying, are you trying to ruin this for us? Are you trying to get us evicted? What is, what is going on? This is, this is crazy. And at that moment, I, by the way, when you call a woman crazy, like expect crazy things to happen. It's not the smartest thing you can do as a guy. Right when I call her crazy, she's sitting in my passenger seat and she kicks up through my windshield. And I slam on the brakes in the middle of this storm and we begin to spin. And I scream, what is wrong with you? I knew at that moment that I needed to leave. I needed to call it quits on my marriage. I knew that we just were not right for each other. This has been Greg Kimball with the Final Percent Podcast. This is my mini-series. This is part two of The Homeless Millionaire. This is a story of how I got from Arizona to Colorado. All the good things, the bad things, the ups, the downs, the valleys, the swings, the mountains. Everything in between. Thank you so much for allowing me to connect with you on a deeper level. These are very interesting times for me because it's really helping me put a lot of things into perspective. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. So hopefully I can help you make some of my good mistakes again and earlier in your journey. And hopefully I can show you all the bad mistakes that I made so that you can not make the same ones that I did. This is Greg Kimball, and this is my story. Thank you so much for stopping by. Please come see me tomorrow for part three. And as always, I appreciate you.